0: Now, today, today is what? What do we recognize today as? Palm Sunday. I'm going to save all my stupid dad jokes for later. It's Palm Sunday, all right? We call this Palm Sunday. That was for my father in law, okay? We call this Palm Sunday. Because it was the day that Jesus made what we refer to as his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem, riding on the donkey as the people openly proclaimed him as the Messiah. Today was the day. We recognize today as that day. And as he entered into the city gates, they threw their garments down and they they took palm branches off the trees and they threw them down on the road that that he was coming in. So there's a very significant meaning to this. This is quite a day in history because this is one of those times that I would refer to Jesus as being a beautiful disruptor. He was a disruption that day. But isn't it true that Jesus often disrupts our lives? In a way that when we look back on it, we're like, man, that was, he really did a beautiful thing for me there but it was a disruption now this day had also been prophesied by the prophet Daniel to the day that this would happen also the Old Testament prophet Zechariah prophesied the exact scene that was going to happen and so we're gonna look at this day in history and we're gonna look at how three people responded to this disruption that took place in the city of Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago and how sometimes things just do not go as we expect them to. When all chaos seems to be breaking loose in our lives, right, in comes Jesus. Here he comes, a beautiful disruptor. When Jesus makes his grand entrance into the city it was during the Passover celebration. Now, the Passover is a Jewish holiday that was initiated back when Moses led the, Egypt, the Israelites out from captivity from the Egyptians. They were slaves to the Egyptians. Moses is called by God to lead the Israelites out from under the rule of the Egyptians. And, and we can get into it, but that night was called the Passover because of what took place. And it, and it points to Jesus. But this huge celebration is taking place, a Jewish holiday. And because of this, there were lots of people in the city of Jerusalem celebrating this holiday. So everybody's here. And prior to this event, a good friend of Jesus's by the name of Lazarus had died. And he's in a tomb for four days. Jesus shows up calls lazarus out of the tomb brings him back to life the power of god everybody sees this and now he's heading into jerusalem and so we're going to read the story we'll read the whole story and then we'll kind of break it down we're going to read the story that's in the gospel of john and it's in uh, chapter 12. John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. So the next day, after he raised Lazarus from the dead, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hail to the King of Israel! This is the New Living Translation. Jesus found a young donkey and and rode on it, Fulfilling the prophecy that said... Don't, can you turn me down just a hair? There's a lot of feedback up here. Fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. It's the Zechariah's prophecy. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, after he ascended into heaven... They remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees, the religious leaders, said to each other, there's nothing we can do, look, everyone has gone after him see Jesus knew scripture I don't think we can just make the assumption that he knew scripture because he was the son of God so he knew everything he knew scripture because his parents taught him well and he he knew growing up I'm sure that he was something the son of God there was something there but he studied scripture he knew the prophecies he knew exactly what day this was and what was to take place And make no mistake about this beautiful disruption because prophecy was being played out before everybody's eyes. Now, there's three groups of people who we're going to look at who took place in one of the greatest scenes in world history. The crowd of people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and then Jesus' disciples. And what each group came to find out is things were not going to turn out as they had anticipated. And isn't that how life is for us sometimes? Like, we have this grand plan. Maybe it's with our schooling. Maybe it's with our career. Maybe it's our marriage, our our family. Whatever it is, we have a plan. And it's, it's, it's a life plan. And then as it begins to unfold, it doesn't always seem to play out how we thought it would. And so the first group of people who found this out, that we're going to look at, is the crowd. Now if we back up to verse 11, before we started reading this story, we can see that on account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, that it says that many people left. Or many people uh, lost faith. Uh, I think the English Standard Version says many people left their traditions. What it means is they left or they lost faith in the religious leaders and they began believing in Jesus. They had deserted their Jewish religious leaders and put their faith in Jesus, the crowds of people. They just saw him call a man out of a tomb who'd been in there for four days. Why shouldn't we be listening to this man? And at that time as well, when you read the story, read John chapter 11. Jesus says something. He he says, what what I just did, what I just said, something he says, I didn't do it for my benefit. I did it for theirs. And then a voice from heaven sounds like thunder. was God speaking to his son, and everybody heard it. Something happened. They lost faith in their religion. And now they're yelling, praise God. Hail to the king of Israel. Waving palm branches and putting them down on the road for him to enter into the city with. Now, most of us hear, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest. Right? Well, praise God in this context means Hosanna in the Greek. And Hosanna means, pray, save us. So in comes Jesus on this donkey, and they're saying, save us. Praise God. Pray. Save us. Hosanna. And then the palm branches. Did you know what the palm branches actually represent? Victory, triumph, peace, eternal life. They didn't already. They weren't in town, and then you know they went to the um, to the uh, souvenir booth to buy palm branches for Passover. They tore them off the trees. They noticed something was happening. The palm branches had a significant meaning. In Matthew 21, verse 8, it tells us that most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut palm branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. I look at it like this, like like people are climbing up on the trees. I don't know how tall these these things were, but whipping them down and laying them on the road and waving them and, Hosanna, praise God. This is our king, Jesus. But here's the real Deal. Here's what they were really thinking. See, they were not looking for a king that was going to offer them eternal life. They were not looking for a king who was going to forgive them of their sins and say, "This is the way." They were looking for a king who was going to bring them out from the oppressive rule of the Romans. That's who they were looking for, and Jesus caused the greatest disruption anyone had ever caused in the city with what he did. And the crowd's perspective was a little self-centered. It was, what's in it for me? This man is going to free us from the Romans. See, they had had heard all these things about Jesus. Jesus healing people of their sicknesses and diseases, delivering people from demonic oppression. Lazarus wasn't the first person he raised from the dead. And then these teachings that he did of of the kingdom of God, how he ushered in the kingdom of God and and, and had these teachings that nobody had heard of or or nobody had spoken like he did, and and these feelings that they were getting when they would hear hear Jesus speak. This was for real. But he's got to be the one to free us from the Romans it has to be him just a few days later this same crowd was yelling crucify him crucify him nail him to the cross how does that happen? see they did not understand the depth of everything that was taking place and this is what happens when we only think of ourselves, it's a little self-centered. And it really, truth be told, we, we, all, we all do that sometimes, right? We all just like, it's just, I, it's just me right now. But when we're not looking at the grand scheme of things, when we're not looking at maybe what the depth of a situation is. See, when Jesus didn't turn out who they wanted him to be, they turned on him in a matter of days. And I, I, I think of, of the spiritual activity that was happening in Jerusalem that day. How the crowd just hailed him as the Messiah one day, and four or five days later were yelling, crucify him. Think of the demonic activity and the angels and all of that stuff that was taking place. And the frenzy that was whipped up and all of this stuff. <clears throat> and then, so that's the crowd. But then there's the Jewish Religious leaders, the Pharisees. Now, the thing about the Pharisees is they knew prophecy. They knew the scriptures. They knew what was to take place for their coming Messiah to enter into the scene. Really, they should have seen this taking place and recognized what was going on. Far too often we read the Bible and we look at the Israelites, right? Like, oh, oh my goodness, they wandered around in the, in the desert for 40 years and they were so stupid. I would have never been like them. I would have seen what they were doing and, and recognized that. Actually, no. We are just as... That's why we are referred to as sheep. Sheep aren't the smallest, the smartest. We're just like them. You know, we take one, one step forward in our faith and two steps back, something happens and another step forward. and We... we we're all a work in progress but the pharisees now they were teachers of the law, teachers of the scriptures they studied this stuff they should have known like for instance the the prophecy from Daniel 400 almost 500 years prior I think in Daniel chapter 9 he prophesied that this would happen to the date the angel Gabriel visits Daniel and he gives him this message this prophetic message about the coming Messiah and Daniel writes it down and it's, it's you got to do some studying and that's thank goodness we have scholars that do this stuff because it's like 70 weeks and 67 you know there's numbers in there but it was to the date to the day that this would happen why, why, weren't there, why wasn't there a calendar in a Pharisee's home or in their study room or something Why, why, why did they, how did they miss this? But then, okay, okay, so you know what, let's just, whatever, it's not clear, it's, it's in weeks, it's in whatever, it's, you know, it's prophecy, we're not too sure. How about Zechariah's prophecy? Zechariah, in chapter 9, prophesied that the Messiah, your king, would come into, into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. Did anybody say to themselves, you, you, did you read Zechariah? There's a few Pharisees that their eyebrows were perking up, right? But for the most part, they didn't like what they were seeing. I want to know how they missed it. I mean, we kind of know. I mean, it's, Their hearts were hardened. But, but here's the deal. Their perspective. So, so the crowd was kind of What's in it for me? Kind of self-centered, like, like we, we want something else out of this man. The religious leaders was a point of control. See, their perspective on this entire scene was, we are in control, not Jesus. We are. And he had been disrupting things now for three years. We're not happy with this guy. He most definitely did not fit the mold that they created their Messiah to be like when he was to come to the earth they also had God in a box and said here is how God should be and this is how we think he will act and they set up all these laws and systems for people because it, would, it turned into a religion and this is not how our Messiah is going to enter the scene not like this not not talking to the downtrodden and the oppressed and the 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 drug addicts and the prostitutes and the alcoholics and the tax collectors not no no not our Messiah absolutely not and this is why they reacted the way they did in 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 in, uh, uh, verse 19 then the Pharisees said to each other there's nothing we can do look everyone's gone after him they lost control of the situation and in Luke 19, when Luke, when Luke records this, he, he tells Jesus, he, he, the recording of Luke is this, the religious leaders go to Jesus and they're like, would you tell them to stop praising you as the Son of God, as the Messiah? And Jesus says, if I, if I tell them to stop, then the rocks will burst out in cheers, the rocks will cry out. It's quite a day. See, here's what happened here. Our desire to always be in control forms an unteachable heart. The religious leaders were no longer teachable. The religious leaders were no longer willing to take a step back and go, maybe this is our Messiah. It was better for them. They were so concerned for the system that they set up. That it was better for them to kill their long-awaited Messiah that the scriptures pointed to. I want to read, I'm going to read, um, I, got, I got the four verses up here because it's a long conversation and I just kind of want to point out a few of them. I'm going to read uh, from John chapter 11. I just, I encourage you this week, read John 11 and 12 if you want to just kind of meditate on this. But but here are four Verses that kind of create the scenario of a conversation that the religious leaders had about Jesus after he raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 48. I'll I'll just skim through it real quick. Verse 46, but some went to the Pharisees. They told them what Jesus did. Then the leading priest and the Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do, they asked each other. Verse 48, if we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him, then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for a whole nation to be destroyed. Down to verse 53. So from that time on, the Jewish religious leaders began to plot Jesus' death. Verse 57, verse 57, Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. These were were the guys who were teaching scripture, teaching in the synagogues, teaching people the things of God now we have a, a vineyard uh, area you know vineyard pastors we meet in this church w- once a month there's about 20 vineyard churches that meet here we also have what's called the Reynoldsburg ministerial association where all the different churches meet together once a month I couldn't fathom being together in that meeting plotting to kill somebody an innocent person at that like somebody was uh... you know um... gee I don't know okay oh okay okay, all right, here ready down at O'Toole's pub, teaching things of God, delivering people of alcoholism, raising somebody from the dead, and then the, the local pastors got together and said, "We we need to we need to this guy is we need to do something about this." That's what we're dealing with, church. That's what was going on here. So. Their desire for control, the religious leaders, had hardened their hearts to the point of no longer being teachable. And those who were teaching religion were getting together and plotting to kill a man. And, and then, then there's the disciples, all right? These poor guys. Jesus, I mean, they, it was a wild ride for them, right? For three years. These guys left their businesses to follow Jesus. They had been with Jesus for three years, three and a half years. They witnessed the miracles, walking on water, feeding thousands out of little, raising people from the dead, healings, setting people free from demons. They listened to his teachings both publicly and privately. Lots of them are recorded. I, I often meditate and think about what were those late night campfire teachings like with Jesus that aren't recorded. Man, I bet it, I bet it was, you know, because oftentimes He he tried to draw that out of the disciples. Who do you say I am? Peter says, You're the Christ, you're the Messiah. <clears throat> the disciples knew who he was. <clears throat> Can I get my water? disciples knew who jesus was but he told them not to say anything lots of people that he had interactions with healings with and delivering them they knew who he was some people even told who he was but he said don't say anything because my time has not come yet it wasn't time and now it's time it's here It's here, boys. It's going to happen. The day the people will openly proclaim Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah is now here. Think about the range of emotions. Right? Peter's probably, Peter's pumped, man. Peter is amped. We always think of Peter as like this goofball that always said things he wasn't supposed to say. Man, Peter was so sold out for Jesus He was the only one that got out of the boat when Jesus walked on the water. The rest of the disciples, the crowd, the religious leaders, all the emotions are being played out here. The crowd proclaiming him as the king that the disciples knew that he was, the religious leaders setting out to arrest him, Because he was causing a disruption that was going against their religious system. Jesus making his triumphant entrance into the city of Jerusalem, but it was not going to turn out how the disciples expected. Because the crown that Jesus was about to wear was not going to have jewels in it. Prior to this scene, Jesus told the disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. He tells them what's going to happen. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He told them plainly. He would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. And then Peter took him aside and said, Jesus, you should not talk like that. And Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. This is where we're like, oh, Peter. Peter was sold out for Jesus, man. I love Peter. See, here's the thing. The disciples... The disciples, <laughs> the disciples were not always paying attention to what Jesus was saying. Sometimes it was over their heads. Sometimes maybe, you know, I don't know. This is just me thinking. Maybe they're just like, it's been a long day. He's still talking. I'm hungry. I'm not even listening. I have stopped listening an hour ago. Yeah, uh, I thought we were going to cook fish, but he's still talking. <clears throat> he's supposed to go to bed soon. But really, they just, they didn't understand everything Jesus said, okay? Here's the thing, this is the thing with this, all right, ready? Not knowing God's word in the way that we should often leads to a lack of trust in God's plan for us. That's why we have to read the Bible, church. We have to know God's word. See, the difficulties that we deal with, the struggles, the trials, the storms in life, all of these things produce character traits that are necessary for us to be the people Jesus created us to be. Jesus never said, come to me and your life will be like sitting on a beanbag chair for the rest of your days. Amen. <laughs> Amen. He never said it would be easy. We're going to have storms. We're going to, have, And you know what? Sometimes, I hate to say it, but he picks you up and he sets you in the middle of a storm. And when you follow his lead through that storm, you can see and look back and go, that was a beautiful disruption that taught me a lot. Jesus put some trust in me to handle something. Jesus and I walked through this together. And it produces something in us that we wouldn't have had before. And it gives us the ability now to speak into the lives of others based on the storms and trials and struggles that they're going in because now we have a story to tell and something that's relatable. And we point them to Jesus. See, all three groups of people here experienced a beautiful disruption by the King of Kings. And this is exactly who Jesus is, church. He's a beautiful disruption. If you don't want to be challenged in life, if you don't want to have your Savior say, this is what I set out for you to do, it's going to be hard, but you're the one for the task, and you and I together will make sure this happens. If you think that your walk with Jesus is going to be easy from beginning to end, you will be highly mistaken. And if you do not read the scriptures and stay in the Bible and stay connected with other believers in a life group and come to church and do all these things that we talk about doing as Christians, if you don't do that you will be caught off guard and the storms will blow you over and this is what happened to the disciples they didn't see it coming even though it says Matthew Matthew recorded it and said he spoke to us plainly looking back it was like oh geez we maybe we should have been paying attention but we're human beings too right we get caught off guard but that's where we lean into the scriptures. See, maybe we're dealing with stuff. Maybe, maybe that word that I had before the sermon was was for this part this part of the sermon. Because that wasn't planned, okay? Maybe you're dealing with an addiction. Maybe you're dealing with money stresses and, and failures and 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 whatever. Or maybe it's depression and anxiety, health issues, relationship issues, marriage issues, raising your children issues, uh, you know, family issues, career issues, school, whatever it is, and life isn't going the way you thought it would. It was should be going. Or maybe you are just in a rut and you need something bigger than yourself to get you through. See, when we invite Jesus. To be a part of our storm, to be a part of our problem, to be a part of our life. He comes in and he disrupts everything. He shakes it up. And and this beautiful disruption leads to a new perspective on life. Because what was once upside down, Jesus turns right side up. And in the midst of it, we're like, oh, this, what's going on? And now we're like, we, we, get, we get so used to, to being in a negative atmosphere, to, to being in dysfunction, to being in, 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 in never, ever, you know, things working out, and, and I'm never going to get here, I'm never going to get there. And we get so used to it, but we never invite Jesus in. Because Jesus is the one that will turn it all right side up. And it takes time. I recently had, 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 had a word from the Lord, I was like, oh, you know, I was kind of lamenting, oh, come on, God, could you do this and that and the other, and, you know, it's just me here, and blah, 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 right? We, is it just me? Am I the only one that does that? You know what he said to me? He said, Chip, your impatience is getting in my way. How about that? So I'm like, all right, I'll just, uh, I'll follow your lead. What does that look like? That means I will work hard, I will do my best, I will look for God in everything, and I will stay in the word. I'll follow his lead. See, our perspective on life is our reality, right? There's a lot of things that go into the creation of our perspective our childhood, our background, our family dynamics our life experiences and all of these things contribute to the framework in which we see the world. And what happens is that our perspective on life changes as our relationship with Jesus grows. He begins teaching us. He begins putting things in order. He begins to say, you know, you, you really focused on this but I need you to be focused on that or, or in my case, hey Chip would you just back it up a little bit, put it in neutral buddy just, just let me do a few things first it's called, I call that following his lead listen I love this, this verse, verse 16 the, his disciples did not understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy but after Jesus entered into his glory, after he ascended into heaven, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. I, I picture it like this. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm not, I don't know. But if you're familiar with the upper room in the book of Acts, chapter 1, chapter 2, where they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come down. Jesus says, just hang tight over there, things are going to happen. And they're just hanging out, they're preaching the gospel, they're, they're going about town. But, but there's like hundred, over 100 of them, and, and they're just talking about You remember this you remember that how did we miss it i don't know man i just whatever and they remembered all the things that jesus did and then they said this is he was fulfilling prophecy and we were right there we were a part of it all I, i love that because because here's the deal it wasn't until their relationship with jesus was to a point that they fully understood what took place that day in the city of jerusalem It isn't until our relationship with Jesus is at a certain point until we fully understand what it is that he is going to do for us or is doing for us. And if we don't know the word, we're going to miss out on it, really. So bring it home with this. Imagine this, church. Imagine the sigh of an aha moment the disciples had after they watched Jesus ascend into heaven and they were recounting the events that just happened. Does anybody here ever think about what it looked like to watch him ascend into heaven? Like, like he just, like, like up and then there he goes. I mean, they watched him ascend into heaven. Imagine then being like, oh, wow. We were a part of the greatest event in history. And it isn't until after Jesus changes our perspective on life, That we experience the rest that only he can offer for us it's my favorite all-time they're all my favorite but this is my all-time top of the top because this is the first time the words of jesus leapt out on a page and into my spirit right here matthew chapter 11 come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you yoke is that wooden bar that connects two ox together so they can plow fields. Stop doing it by yourself. Yoke up with me. I'll carry the load, and you'll walk this out with me. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Nobody else can offer that. Nobody but Jesus. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light now this kind of rest comes with total surrender total surrender we gotta surrender it all to Jesus that's how we experience this kind of rest see when Jesus created this beautiful disruption about 2,000 years ago he did it as an act of surrender the night that he was betrayed he prayed this prayer Matthew 26 my father If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from you, from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus was in the garden. This would have been Thursday night, praying, praying, praying. I don't want to do this, Father. I don't want to do this. But I will. I will. He surrendered. It was an act of... Of surrender to the father's will and by doing so the father supplied Jesus with everything he needed for what he was about to go through the sins of the world upon him past present and future and it isn't until we completely surrender to Jesus that he supplies us with the rest that we need for our souls And it isn't until we completely surrender to Jesus that he disrupts our lives in a way that brings clarity and everything is now right side up. And it isn't until we completely surrender to Jesus that we experience the fullness of the kingdom of God as originally intended. And that fullness begins with the beautiful disruption of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, man, I thank you. I thank you for historically, God, what you did on this day 2,000 years ago. I thank you for spiritually what you did 2,000 years ago. I thank you for prophetically what you did. 2,000 years ago on this day. And I thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing with each one of us today.